This is episode 32 of The Focused Mindset. Today, you get to listen in on a conversation that I had with solution-focused expert, Eric Wagner. He talks to me all the way from the UK about his amazing experiences. He's a family coach who helps parents turn around their child's most challenging behaviors. But first, if you're new here, welcome. We're so happy to have you. And don't forget to push subscribe so you don't miss any of the family-oriented content that we have here. You've been upgraded to Parenting 2.0. New expectations requires a new mindset. The focused mindset. I'm Cher Kretz. I'm a school counselor and a family mindset coach. Raising kids is an amazing journey, and things don't always turn out as planned. Still, you get to share your life with an adult in training. This podcast will help you meet every new challenge with confidence and be the best version of yourself in your home and with the people you love. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we have a wonderful guest, Eric Wachter. You are an expert family coach. You've worked with the solution-focused approach, and now you specialize in helping families turn around challenging behaviors. And I'm so excited about having you on to talk to us about this subject. Welcome. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. First of all, I just want to find out a little bit more about you. Share with our listeners um, how you came about discovering the solution-focused approach for your personal practice and how it's evolved. Okay. Um, once upon a time, no, many years ago, I, as a young child, I discovered that I was super passionate about people, working with people. And my best friend, he had a, a Down syndrome uh, sister. And I was just fascinated. So my first career was as a nurse in learning disabilities. And I worked in that field for quite a while until I qualified in 1998 as a social worker. I moved to England from the Netherlands. I moved to England in 1999, where I ended up working in a boarding school for children with learning difficulties and challenging behavior. After about two, half, three years there, I finally ended up in an incredible social services team and they worked with families who were at risk of breakdown. So we were kind of the last service involved. After every other service had already worked with the family but nothing worked, we were the one team that they were hoping for that could save the local authority a lot of money because putting children in care is quite expensive. But uh, So my first day that I arrived at this team, I was sent to a training, which was a solution-focused brief therapy. Uh, that is what it was called here in the UK. Yep. Later, we changed that to the solution-focused approach. And I, I came from a background where, you know, you just look at the problem. So I really had to work hard getting used to this. But once I started to see that some of my colleagues who were implementing the solution-focused approach, once I started to see that they got much quicker results than I did, I became really super interested in this. And that is also where my manager at that time made the decision that as a team, we're going to become a pure solution-focused uh, approach team, which meant that for us, meant that we, uh, if we're going to work with a family, we only knew where they lived, what their names were, and that it was safe to go there. 
we had no history. It was just as, as it, it well, it was brand new information that we, we got. Uh, so that is my introduction into the solution-focused uh, approach way of working. And in that team, I stayed for six years, uh, specialized in solution focus, became a trainer uh, that trained other stuff across the local authority. Um, and after six years, I left that team to start my own training and coaching company called Solution Focused, trained uh, social workers, family support practitioners, basically anyone working with families for over 10 years in the Solution Focus approach, and then really specialized in uh, becoming an expert family coach around behavior. Uh, because what I noticed was that even though we got families really onto a good path, uh, help them to find the solution that they that worked for them. I often saw them coming back to us after six months or eight months and I started to think why is that and that is where I realized that um, What we forgot to do or what we didn't do was helping them to understand Why do their children behave that way? What is driving their behavior? Because often the people that I work with were at a place where they really felt that help my child is ruining my life and you know with that mindset it's very difficult to go forward so i really focused on what can i do to help the family understand why their children or why they themselves as parents what was driving their behavior and so that is where the interest started with the whole behavior side that makes a lot of sense and i can imagine i'm picturing you in that situation where you're uh, moving from helping the actual families to training, uh, what what kind of powerful moments did you see, or what what helps you continue seeing that this approach really works? Like, what are some of the things you noticed in that time? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question because at at the beginning of every training, I ask people, "What is your approach?" How, how do you work with these families? Because they are in an extremely important position. They are there to change the trajectory of the family's future. Uh, and, and that could go in all directions. And I would say 85% of the people that I asked that question to, they said to me, I feel that I am just winging it. Uh, and that was shocking in a way. So... When I sh explained the solution focus approach, how actually how simple, because often people are overwhelmed. They go into this family and they don't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. How do you approach that? But the solution focus approach has got, or the way I developed it based on my experience and, and the training that I received myself, I divided it in five easy to follow steps. And so I, I trained them in it. And the interesting thing, what it did, in, before it started to change the lives of the families that they work with, it started to change their own life. Th that way of thinking, of asking powerful questions, you know, instead of focusing on, uh, you know, one of the solution focus principles is, is that uh, instead of focusing on what you no longer want, let's focus what, on what it is that you do want. You know, yeah. because every time when you ask a parent, you ask them a question, what is it that you would like to achieve from working with me? They will tell you what it is that they don't want. 
I want my children to stop fighting. I want my partner to stop being a lousy couch potato person. You know, they tell you what it is they no longer want. So by just shifting that, and even the social workers that I work with and that I coached, they would tell me what it is that they didn't like in their team or in their work. But we have to then, well, the solution focus approach teaches you to think or focus on what it is that you do want and then go more detailed. What does that actually look like? And yeah. you know, I mean, uh, if I talk too much, you have to stop me because oh, you know, the focus approach when you get me going. It gets me fired up too. Trust me. That's why, I mean, it's, it's exciting. But I know that when we are talking to parents, yeah. this, this is a very brand new concept because I believe that parents have every ounce within them that they want to focus on the things that they want rather than the things that they don't want. But in those moments, the things that they don't want seem so huge. It seems like this big, big thing is because it's a big, a much bigger mindset shift than they think. It's not like that little sentence. It's, it changes everything about the way that they approach their families. And, and, And that is the powerful thing. You know, I see the solution focus approach as something that you, you need to drip feed into the family. Uh, so when I first meet a family, you know, the solution, one of the other principles is we see the family as the expert yes. of their own situation, which is a very respectful way of, uh, you know, working with a family rather than coming in as the, the professional telling them what they should be doing. Yeah, so, and isn't it interesting that we've ever got that mixed up in the first place? Because we know in our own families, geez, we're the ones that, you know, we're the ones that are in our home and see what happens every day in and out. We might have been making some mistakes, but we're still the experts. And I wonder how we ever got that mixed up in the first place. I think uh, when, we, when we're not conscious of what we do, I think we go down a sort of uh, path that naturally come to us. And, 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 and I think what we naturally are is problem sol- solvers. We want to fix things. Mm. Uh, and so we also want to fix these families. But, you know, one of the biggest tricks is, is to actually move away from offering them suggestions and ideas. Yeah. But get them to think about their own situation through asking powerful questions so that they feel that they come up with their preferred future, their, their, the path to their preferred future, that they own it. Because... When someone owns it, they are way, when someone owns the solution, they are way more likely to follow through with the chosen action. You know, tell a child what to do, tell them what to do, and the child will refuse or rebel or do the opposite. And adults, we are just like little children, only a little bit older. Tell an adult what to do. They might do it, but if it didn't work next week, when you meet them again, they, they, they said, oh, tried it, didn't work. And who do they blame? You, the worker. Human nature, so, yeah. So therefore, you know, what I love about the solution focus is the whole concept of moving away from telling them what to do to asking powerful questions, to, to give them that ownership, to describe what they would like to achieve from working with the worker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then the powerful work happens in the family. And, mm-hmm. um, and yes, I, I'm so encouraged by hearing about how you personally started seeing success using a solution-focused approach, knowing that over here where we live, um, some many people are in a very beginning stage of even understanding what this might be. And I run into parents that are thinking, well, how can I ignore all of these problems? How can I ignore these behaviors? Isn't that kind of like um, not 
punishing them and not helping them be accountable. And they get stuck in that loop of, of thinking. And it's challenging to jump over to that other side of really starting to dive into the solutions. I agree. I agree with you. As you're talking, I just had flashbacks of, you know, lots of these families that they were challenged. They were really, really challenged. But, you know, I, I always say to families that I believe, and I don't mean that in a patronizing way, but they are intelligent people. They have brains to think. They can make decisions. And, you know, I always ask them, is what you're currently doing, is it working for you? And if the answer is yes, I say, well, get on, get, carry on with it. But often the answer is no. I said, well, if it's not working anymore, you know, what you continuously are doing is you are doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. Yeah. So, and it's about, so if something is not working, you have to think of a new strategy. And, and that process you need to keep following through until you have a strategy that works. Yes. And that is the mindset shift uh, that, that, that I, I see that parents need to, uh, to make. Yeah, I, I'm glad we touched on that because that's exactly it. It's like when a parent is sitting in their family and it's just them and themselves thinking about it, mm. if they can just sit down and be honest with themselves and say, is what I am doing right now working? Yeah, and then being able to look in the mirror and say, am I, am I going to own up to it and do something different? Or am I going to keep doing the same thing that's not working? That's, yeah. you know, yes, it's confronting, but guess what? Like you said, it challenges you in a good way. Ownership. It's yes. all about ownership. The more ownership we can give the parents, the more influence they can have in their own situation. You know, often parents or here in the UK, a lot of families like to point their blaming finger at it's the local authority's fault, it's the social worker's fault, it's the school's fault, it's my child, my child needs to change, then everything will be okay. I am personally, I believe that, you know, when I work with a family, I don't want to work with the child because I know that if I can influence the parent uh, to the level where they understand that why the child is behaving in a certain way, once I get to influence them, it has a knock-on effect on the child. Uh, you know, if I work with the child and I don't touch the parent, then the child will go back into a system, the, the family, that creates it, that, you know, the seeds that they are sowing into the child's life that creates a harvest. And, you know, and so that is the situation. I like working with the parents. Uh, yeah, I love working. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't absolutely love working with families, which I do. Um, but I do see what you're talking about because coming from my point of view, working in the school districts here in, in the States, my primary job is to work with my client, which is the student. And the student is my client number one. And I love that. They're my sweet little student. But yeah. sometimes I have limited time to talk to the parent and they're the ones that are making, you know, they're trumping me. You know, if I, I can do that work with them, but yeah. guess what? The parent is the most powerful person in that child's life. They, yeah. they, they listen to their mother in the womb. They listen to these people, influence them and seeing the way they act and the way they move in their homes from minute one. And so yeah. anything that I say is going to instantly be trumped by mm -hmm. whatever happens in that home the moment that they step in that door. So yeah, totally, it's, totally. yeah, so it's so it's so amazing and enlightening when we can say, wait a minute, I love working with kids, but when we're working with parents, we're influencing the family unit. And 
parents out there that are listening right now should be encouraged by the fact, in my opinion, like sometimes parents go, oh, I'm doing so many things wrong, you know? Well, how about be encouraged about the fact that there's a different way to look at things? It's exciting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, totally. No, Do I, you ever I, see that light up where you, you've worked with a family and you see that light bulb go on? They're like, oh my gosh, there's a different way of looking at this. I mean, I remember, I can't remember her name, but I, I, in the last two years, I've been also working in child protection. And I remember one mother who came from a domestic violent relationship uh, and she, uh, she had three children and one of their children she really struggled with. And she was, she was kind of, um, how do you call that, pouring her pain out that her husband did to her onto that child. Um, and, and I remember um, for, for weeks and weeks, she was just stuck to the fact, this child is ruining my life, this child is ruining my life. Until I got through to her and, and explained to her that the behavior of the child was coming from an unmet need. And that the child so desperately wanted to have love and connection with his mother but he saw mother in a very painful position uh, because of the history. And yes. so he couldn't fix mom and therefore his behavior became uh, all over the place uh, because he couldn't get that connection with her. So he find, found other ways to get connection, but not positive connection or negative connection. So finally, mom understood what I was telling her. And then for about a period of a, a week, I think it was seven or 10 days, she stuck to one exercise and that was it all had to do with her love and connection you know one of the things that she had to do is for for seven to ten days fo focusing on what could she do to make this child feel loved and connected to her without expecting anything back and i i remember this was this lady was depressed all the time and i remember walking into her home and there was the biggest smile on her face the biggest smile on her face and she said, Eric, I got it. I got it. And that is the most powerful thing because I can't make someone change. Right. But once, they, once they get it and they understand it, um, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. So, so I, do, I do recognize what you said there. Yeah. To yeah. See that change. And this brings us to the second point that you said, where you noticed that as much as the solution focused was mm -hmm. making a huge difference, that there was an element missing. Yeah. for the parents you know there was an element missing that wasn't allowing them to take that next step and you kind of referred to that next step right there i want to dive into this i was also want to do this in light of a specific um, situation that i'm able to have an influence in in my yeah. own coaching i recently worked with a parent i'm currently working with the same parent with a child that is um is displaying a lot of the behaviors that we talk about it's not just that they're disobeying it's not just that they forgot to do their chores it's mm. that there's this need to control the family that mm. the child begins to um, get in a loop almost like a a habit loop of mm -hmm. Um, doing the same type of behaviors of roping them into maybe an argument or a yelling match or some type of um, fit that ends, ends awfully every time, you know? Yeah. She had said, you know, it seems like my daughter's always had this. You know, it seems like it's always been. And so it's very difficult for her to jump over and realize that um, there might be a different way of approaching their daughter. 
Like, what would you say to someone who's in a situation where they feel mm-hmm. like their child has always been that way? How can we change it? Okay, so, you know, this is what I love about uh, doing this work because there is no one path that you take when you've got a family in front of you. You've got to sit there and you've got to have all your knowledge and your toolbox with you and thinking, okay, where am I going next? Um, I often say to a family, I tell them a story that, you know, when a child is born, the baby comes out, what I would say, clean. Uh, you know, if it's like a typical child where the parents haven't had uh, like a drug addiction or something like that, the baby comes out totally clean. It doesn't come out, uh, what do you call it, demanding, well, it demands love and attention, but it doesn't come out being disrespectful uh, and stuff like that. So when you are a beginning parent, you are not fully aware of how much influence you have into the child or the seeds or i call this a sow, the, the sowing and reaping method how much seeds you are continuously sowing into your child because your child came to you clean it, 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 there was nothing there and then throughout the years either through the parents or through the environment the the nursery the, or anything seeds have been sown into the child and at some point a harvest appears uh, and and I, I share that story with them because I want them, without me telling them, well, how much have you got to do with this? Or how much, you know, because I, that is a, a too much a, a aggressive approach. We don't want that. But I'm planting a seed in their thinking about what influence could there have been in my child's life that might have contributed towards this. But and then I'm sort of leaving that. And then I'm taking them to um, a process that is called the six human needs. And I will tell them that, you know, I personally don't believe that children misbehave because they want to upset you or they want to ruin your life or something like that. I said, I believe that children misbehave because of their inability to meet their human needs. Mm. So I start to explain, and each parent, I'll explain it differently because it right. depends what you got in front of you. Mm-hmm. But if I were to give you an, an idea of how I would explain it, is I will say to the parents, you know, for a child to be happy and fulfilled in life, a child has six human needs that they need to meet at the highest level possible. And they can meet that need, uh, those needs in a in two ways in a positive way which is often takes more work is hard work or in a negative way which is often instant gratification i I want it now and i then say so i explain that those needs are certainty challenge variation significance love and connection and then the fifth and the sixth one uh, is uh, growth and contribution I will immediately say to them, I often have that on a sheet for them so that they don't have to remember. I immediately say, let's forget about the last two. Let's just focus on love. No, let's just focus on certainty, uh, challenge variation, significance, and love and connection. And then I will explain to them, I believe that your child is behaving in the way that they are behaving because one of these needs is, uh, is not met. At, uh, at the highest level. No, the child is trying to meet those needs at the highest level possible. Right, okay. And trying to meet those needs, yeah. So if you look at your, the story that you, or the, the family that you just discussed, mm-hmm. um, where, where the child, I think, is very controlling, uh, 
So when a child is uh, very controlling, it's often because in life the child feels out of control. Right. That could be either at school where, you know, uh, where they struggling with uh, processing information or where they're struggling getting along with other children uh, or they are struggling with, with what happens in the house maybe it could be many things but for the child to reach a certain level of certainty becoming controlling is a way to reach that so the same thing with variation and challenge uh, yeah when a child is bored in life uh, you often see a, a child go uh, to do well you know, here in England, we would say uh, in a positive way what social workers would do or organizations. If children are showing challenging behavior and challenging variation is the issue, they might take them to mountains and uh, do upsiding with them, uh, you know, or do, do positive, exciting activities to top up that need of challenge and variation in, in a positive way rather than let's go smoking or let's go stealing or, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But, for, for, and then just look at significance, for the, particularly for the boys. Uh, if I tell you briefly a little story, picture little George. Little George is four years, five years old. He's on the playground. And little George, so he doesn't, you know, he's not thinking, oh, I don't feel significant. It's not like that. But his sub subconscious, he doesn't feel important. He doesn't feel that he matters. So what could little George do to become instantly significant? You know, he looks around, he sees little Jeffrey, he runs over there and he kicks little Jeffrey really hard. And within seconds, he, little George, becomes the most significant person on the playground. Oh, you have the workers rushing over, you have crying, you have other kids pointing. Absolutely. Oh, this is major significance real fast, yes. Absolutely. So if we think of schools, what, what, what I hope that schools will do, is rather than really focusing on the negative behavior, if they would have had my training and they understand that he is doing that because he doesn't feel significant at all, and what can we as a group of teachers uh, do, to make little George feel significant, as, as significant as possible at the highest level. So they might give him a prefect job or a, a playground buddy or someone who delivers messages. And as he starts to feel significant, you will see the negative behavior fade out. Mm, that's, and so, so, that's so great. With, with all of these needs. So this is what I started to do. So with your family, um, I would ask them to, to explore their child's negative or challenging behavior and then look at those four human needs the, the certainty challenge variation significance love and connection and then ask them the question what need do you think your child is trying to meet you know because that is where it, you know the, their challenging behavior is coming from they are desperate to have that certainty and this girl, or it was, it's a girl, I think. Yes, yes. She, in the family. she is becoming very controlling over, over the family situation. And that is what gives her that certainty. But she's choosing the negative path to get what she wants. So this, this is where parents, once they understand it, they then go, have to go on a journey and ask themselves, what can they do as parents to top up that need in a really positive way? And, you know, the story that I just shared before about that lady with the domestic violence situation, 
once she understood how to top up the love and connection with her son, and she did that consistently without expecting anything back, because that is the secret ingredient. You don't expect anything back. The magic happened. The child's needs were met, and as soon as they were met, over time, his challenging behavior faded out. It sounds simple. It, it really is simple, but because we this family have been like this and stuck like that for many, many years, it takes some time to help them to start thinking differently. But it is really powerful. What I notice from parents is that they are so excited that finally there is actually something that makes sense. There is logic to it all and something that they personally can do without having to depend on the system to, to sort them out. Yeah. Um, or just depend on what they've known from their trying to grapple with, you know, how they were raised and then they're trying to find support to figure out what to do. And many times they hear, well, maybe you're not disciplining enough. Maybe you need to be harsher. Maybe you need to you, you have a heavier hand and they're left without a real resource in that scenario. Yeah. But, but the, the key thing I think is it starts with uh, understanding it starts with uh, increasing their awareness of why is their child behaving that way. That is logic. Once you understand the logic, you, you can at least, yes, it is not nice that it happens, but you can move away from that pain and frustration of why is my child like that? And why are, are we as a family experiencing this? Because there, there is a way out. It, it is hard work, but investment now means uh, return on investment later. For so, sure. And that is all about the mindset that the parents also need to see, you know, that uh, it's, it's in their hands. They have the tools to do it. A hundred percent. And it's, in, and it's not to any fault of the last generation when they parented and were unaware, you know, like many parents will be like, well, that's where they, that's way my child was parented. So therefore I want to do something different. They were doing the best they could with the knowledge that they had. You know, and many times there's adults that have got along very well and done great, but that was, it was a challenging thing for them to figure out how to get their needs met because of the approach that the parents had um, instilled in them. So when we have these parents, these courageous parents that want to do something different, like mm -hmm. many of my listeners right now, they want to do something different, even though it's a harder road. They first have to say, you know, it's not that any other path was, um, we don't want to villainize that path. We're just saying, you know what, if there is another way that could make a difference, why not give it a shot? And even more so now than ever before, if a child can get an instant gratification, if they're uh, struggling from feeling significant in their home mm -hmm. and the moment they cause an uproar, they feel significant, it's an instant shot and they're good to go for the next few hours until they feel insignificant once again. Can I just tell you one short story around Absolutely. Oh, we love yeah. stories. Yes. Okay. Let's, let's listen to a st story time. <laughs> good story time. Yeah. I was working with this family, uh, the 15-year-old son, let's say that his name is Ben. Uh, he was at the top of his class. He was really intelligent, doing really well. But outside of school, he was stealing, doing drugs, and being regularly picked up by the police. His mom was a police officer. 
And oh, she wow. really, yeah, she really felt when I met her first, he is doing this to ruin my life. You know, yeah. it's obvious that why he's doing it. So at school, no problem. Outside of school, serious problems. So I got to know them a little bit. And you, their family situation is that uh, initially uh, there was mom and Ben together. Then stepdad moved in. Uh, and then uh, half-sibling number one was born and half-sibling number two was born. So when I arrived, there was a two-year-old, a four-year-old and 15-year-old Ben. Okay. And and I could already start to see what was going on. So I explained to them, you know, the six human needs. I initially told them, I don't believe that Ben is doing it to ruin your life. I believe he is desperately trying to have his needs met at the highest level. And he's doing it in the wrong path. I showed them, uh, you know, certainty, challenge, variation, significance, love and connection. And I asked them, which need do you think is he trying to meet? And my gut feeling was, I thought they're going to say, challenge a variation with the fighting and the smoking and the stealing. But when they started really looking at their, um, uh, at their family situation, at the very beginning, when it was just mom and Ben, they were fine. They had a, a relationship like a house on fire. And then stepdad moved in. He took him out to the cricket and stuff like that. Yeah, they still got all right. Then sibling one came, sibling two came, and suddenly Ben was no longer a significant member of a family. We all know how busy a two and a four-year-old uh, can be. Yes. So 15-year-old Ben, he was left out, out of everything. So and he started to behave in a way to, sh to basically uh, shout out help. I, I am not a significant member of the family. So the parents recognized this and they came up with a plan when I asked them, what is it that you think you could do to top that need up? for a period of, well, let's say, 30 days without expecting anything back. Um, and they did it. You know, they came up with, they asked him to be responsible for the shopping list, for the cooking, what acti activities are we going to do, the holidays. And over a three-week period, you know, you could see every week, they managed, particularly they managed to stick to the not expecting something back. And that is still the hard part, because as parents, we can be very reactionary to, towards what happens to us. But they had to really stick to keep topping up that need, keep topping up that need and not expect anything back. And three weeks in, they really shared with me that they could not believe the turnaround, the shift, that there was nothing of that challenging behavior because his needs were fully met. He was a significant member. And that's how, I don't want to say how simple it is, but challenging behavior, in my opinion, you know, often comes from that unmet need that the child desperately is trying to meet. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. And it absolutely, it, it gave me little goosebumps because you're talking about a 15 year old, that is a rough age, you know, that that's when their independence is, is running around inside of them in ways that, uh, that we can, you know, forget about the hormones involved here and to be able to allow that family to yeah. give him the need that he was so desperately crying out for um and then for them after a period of three weeks to be patient enough to see those results that's beautiful mm, definitely and it's also very uh, satisfying as a worker you know to see that the future of that child's life has changed and that, yes. that's the cool thing about it now yeah. 
Yeah. And when you're talking about those behaviors, I mean, you're talking about a possible lifetime of addiction or, you know, getting arrested. I mean, these are things that hurt your life, you know, bad. Right. Right. Wow. That's really a great story. Do you ever have parents that don't want to wait, you know, and they feel like they're coming back at you and being like, this is just taking too long or it's not working. And you just kind of just want them to wait that extra week. Have you ever had those situations where they aren't being patient with it? Uh, yeah, a lot of the times. And the one thing that I always say to them, you know, is what you were doing before. Was it working? It's the reminder. Yeah, it's the re- let's get and, back to the and, reason we're doing this, exactly, right? Exactly. And then I also talk about just imagine, you know, if we would be successful, what difference would that make? And, and you know, and I do that exercise because when they answer that and I make that list and I keep asking what else, what else? and I make that list very long, I help them to increase their motivation uh, for, you know, what, 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 what's in it for them. Because often yeah. parents do want to know what's in it for me. Yes. And that's what we need to show them again. You know, just imagine that we are successful. What difference would it mean for you, for your personal time, for your relationship with your partner, for the future of your family, for the future of your children, and just get that excitement and that motivation up again. Yeah. Now, one more thing that this is just kind of popping my mind. Yeah. What if you have two parents that are co-parenting either in the same house or in a different house and one is on board and the other parent is not on board? Have yeah. you ever worked in that situation? Run, run away, run away. <laughs> <laughs> no, we you know every family, the reason why the parent who is not on board, that could be a, a different reason for every parent, but it often is because they also have been hurt in the past. Uh, you know, they're upset about what the child might have said to them, the words that they have, uh, you know. So I, I initially, I mean, if they are living together, I often speak what I call to the strongest link, to okay. the person that wants to. But as I'm speaking to that person, I totally keep the other person in mind who is sitting maybe in, in another corner of the room, um, and I'm speaking actually to them without them realizing it. And right. often I trigger something to get them to come on board. But sometimes it needs an individual individual session with them just to for them to be acknowledged, their feelings to be acknowledged, for them actually to be listened to. Right. You know, because often when people do not feel listened to, they are... Um, they, they are resentful. They, mm-hmm. You know, they have anger inside of them. So I've learned, uh, you know, in a solution-focused way, when you listen deep, when you truly listen to someone and you give that feedback to them that you, you heard them, you really understand where they're at. I'm reminded okay. of a, a, par- a family that I worked with of a teenage boy, and the parents were argue- had never had an argumentative type of relationship. And they were arguing so desperately over their two different ways that they felt they should approach their son's problem Mm. that their son was feeling like a huge problem in the family. Like they were, he was the reason he was making them fight. And, uh, and then obviously that's not going to solve the problematic behavior because the two adults involved were then arguing about how to handle it. And the, and the kids there's shrinking down going, well, this just proves it. I'm, I'm the reason they're fighting. You know, and, and what you're saying there is so powerful. I, I don't know if you know T- Tony Robbins. Yes. Okay. Well, he he shared one this once this story where a little three year old, two three year old, 
he saw his parents fight really aggressively and as a, in his subconscious he was desperately trying to figure out how could he stop them from fighting and as he was watching a little cartoon uh, called Rocky or something like that on television Rocky when he wanted help he shouted out Rocky he stuttered so yeah. this child started to develop a stuttering issue which made his mom and dad stop uh, fighting and focus on the problem wow so in one way the two three-year-old was really clever subconsciously of doing so but then he turned 30 years old and he was still stuttering and wow. um, because of a decision that he made when he was little and what tony did when he was working with him to make a long story short he helped him see that and within minutes of realizing that the, the guy could let go of that little boy in him he no longer needed to stutter to help his parents. It was all okay. And he went from a serious stutterer to someone who suddenly could speak fluently. Yeah. Because, so, so what happens as a child is so powerful. It could have such a huge effect on who you are. Yes. Yeah. That, that's so true. And I know that uh, when we as parents have so much passion for helping others, Sometimes, yeah, we're just helpers, but uh, I get the feeling that you have a lot of passion in this because, because I know you're a parent yourself. I mean, how did you come about just really knowing yourself that this is something that everyone needs to know, that how to, how to help their child? What experiences mm. have you had in your life? Um, that's a good question. I've never thought about, uh, about why that came to me um, other than like I said, I, I've, I've always had a passion for people. I find people fascinating, you know. Uh, but if I look at my own life, I mean, uh, my oldest son, uh, he was uh, at the age of two years old. He was, he's now 18. At the age of two, he was diagnosed with autism. Uh, and there is, with autism, there is no such thing as a manual that you just open up and follow these instructions and it all will be okay. Yes. So. At an earlier stage in being a parent myself, I was thrown into a situation where both my wife and I, well, we came from different places because men and women, we respond differently. Uh, men often think in a very logic way. Uh, so I was in denial. I said, well, if he doesn't talk when he's four years old, then I start worrying about it. But my wife became very proactive and started researching things. Uh, well, that's a story on its own. If anyone wants to read that story go to amazon miracle in slow motion just to plug for her book she oh you're gonna have to slow down what is that uh, her book is called miracle in slow motion from autism diagnosis to an exciting future and she uh, recorded uh how do you call that uh, diaries audio diaries written diaries video wow. diaries since he was born or we both did but she spent seven years writing a book uh, that had to be split in two books because it was so big, whereby she really studied what worked, what didn't work, and she put all of that journey into the, that book, A Miracle in Slow Motion. You can work with your child, but what I learned quite quickly is that how I was as a parent okay. had a massive influence on my child. So that's where I started to, to get, well, both my wife and myself, uh, an interest in personal development you know why do i behave uh you know the more i can control or understand how i behave and how i respond the more influence i can have on my child 
And so that is when I became interested in the Tony Robbins uh, stuff. Uh, and the six human needs is something that he teaches. Uh, there is an incredible good book about the five love language uh, love languages, uh, which uh, I also have part of, of my training that I, I do with parents. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the whole concept of us taking ownership of what we do because whatever we do will have a consequence yes. uh, so yeah, that's how I got passion what kind of result what kind of positive results have you seen um, with your child and if you look at my son now you know at the age of eight he was written off by the educational system uh, they told us uh, we cannot reach him so we cannot teach him mm. and so we at the age of eight we took him out of school and we found a particular program in America um, that really worked for us and we I, I left my job as a social worker and my wife and I we threw ourselves into this um, and it was all about uh, I think of joining the child in, yeah instead of forcing the child it was joining the child in his world and becoming fully invested in his world to the level whereby he fully trusted you that you can gently start showing him things from your world i mean the story is too big but now 18 years old you know the school he at the age of eight he could he really struggled to talk process information sensory overload and we found many things you know auditory integration therapy which is sound and learning uh, is sound and, and light therapy um, we found uh, supplements for uh, his, his diet yes um, and then the program in america all together we discovered he was highly intelligent. We just had to discover that school was causing, well, you probably will see that with some of your students, school environment creates a lot of stress in the child. Yes. And for if children have sensory overload, school is like hell on earth. For some kids. Some kids are some, right down with it. Fine, but uh -huh, but yeah. I'm talking about the children, my child's sensory overload. Yes. My wife and I, we couldn't even talk, talk or hum. We couldn't whisper. We couldn't play the piano. We were both musicians. We couldn't. We couldn't do anything. He would go ballistic. So, once we took him to the auditory integration therapy, well, after ten days, he came out of that, no problem with sensory overload anymore. So, long story short, taking him out of school, we are doing everything to take the stress out of the body, and then we discovered that when that happened, he opened up for learning. And then he got the equivalent of eight GCSEs, and that those eight GCSEs are the sort of diplomas that children, teenagers get here. Uh, distinction in the music diploma. He's an incredible pianist. You know, it's he is uh, you know lots of friends. Everything that they you know, and this is the one thing that I didn't like at the very beginning. People said about autism that it is a lifelong condition. Uh, and, and that was a mindset that I didn't want to uh, adopt. Uh, I believe in let's take the roof of our expectations. And I, I think every parent should do that. Take labeling, yeah. Stop labeling, right? Yeah. And when we take the roof up, we're just going to work towards releasing their fullest potential. And whatever that is, for every child that is different. Uh, but that was just a mindset. So in my own family, I started to quite, uh, implement all these things that I learned. But particularly, uh, I just, I mean, I've, I think, like I said, I've worked with over a thousand families. I've seen so many different situations. Right. I started to see patterns. I started to see 
uh, real understanding what worked and what didn't work yes. and how to connect with people. You know, that the solution focus approach has got such clear steps, you know, the connection, clarity, commitment. I started to implement all of these things in my own life, but as well as uh, in, in the family's life. But particularly when I, this is the most interesting thing. When I started training social workers in the six human needs and all the other things that they needed to know uh, outside of the solution focus, I started getting emails from people who said, I implemented the six human needs in my broken relationship. And, and over the years, six people contacted me saying that they got their husband to come back and live with them and implement the six human needs, which ah. uh, at the end of the, the, the show, I will uh, say something to the listeners about that. But they yeah. did that and their relationship was restored. And, and I thought, yeah, that is powerful, powerful stuff. It is so powerful. And if, if you really look at the fact that if you were unwilling, you and your wife, unwilling to look in the mirror and really say, what can we do differently? Number one. And then number two, choose to, like you say, take the roof off of it and say, yeah. let's look at what's capable, what, what we are capable of, rather than the limitations that we're being told. Mm. The combination of those two things, I mean, that's just brilliant. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think anybody can do that in their home. You know, anybody can take those two steps and say, I'm willing to look at myself in the mirror and take a good hard look at the seeds that I'm planting and then I'm willing to look at the possibilities that are there. And just yeah. those two things will unlock all of the ability to be able to say, well, what needs need to be met and how can we meet these needs? It's all Absolutely. kind of builds, right? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, th I think that I need to put this in your hands right now. We always do a solution-focused exercise. And it's something that I give my listeners so they have something to practice based on what we talked about. And I mean, I'm slightly putting you on the spot, but what would you, what kind of exercise might you give my listeners that they could try at home, you know, with, they can yeah. just write, you know, just this very next minute after they hear this podcast, they yeah. can try this out. What would you, what kind of exercise might you give us? Yeah. So if you're listening and you're either a parent or a professional, you can do this activity. Um, it's really, you know, if you're a professional, think of, uh, well, maybe one of your own children, but otherwise think of a family that you might work with. And if you're a parent and you have a child that maybe uh, presents some challenging behavior, then do the following. Take a piece of paper and write the four, uh, the four, these four human needs on the piece of paper. Start with certainty, challenge, variation, significance, love and connection so those four needs so your task or your challenge for this coming week for let's say the next seven days is to look at the child's behavior and ask yourself which need is my child or is this child trying to meet with this challenging behavior is the child trying to get certainty of something is the child trying to get challenge or variation? Is the child trying to become significant, to matter, to be important, or love and connection? Once you have identified, there could be more, but there's always one driver. There is always one important one. So pick that one and then ask yourself, what can I do? Or what can the family that I work with, what can they do for, normally I would say for a period, at least 30 days, but let's say here for the seven days. Yeah. To 
top up that need in a positive way. So you can discuss it with your husband or your wife or your partner and you say, all right, we have identified this needs. Like in that story that I shared with uh, Ben, significance was his thing. What can we do to top up this need consistently for that period of seven days, but then the key thing without expecting anything back? So you, in advance, you need to make that decision that when they kick off or trigger you, you're not going to respond to that. You're going to continue with topping up that need. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to totally ignore challenging behavior. I mean, that's a story on its own. I would then wait for what I would call the green light. You know, don't react to it there and then, but wait for a moment where it does work that you can talk to them about it. But keep topping them up with that need. And just, just see, they will look at you possibly thinking, what the heck, what's going on here? Uh, but don't ex you don't have to say anything to them. Just, if you do that, I'm really curious to hear from you that was there any difference uh, yes. in in your child's behavior because you know and specifically if you feel like doing this for 30 days that is even better because it takes a while you know for it to work but top up that need because your children are presenting challenging behavior because they're desperate either to have certainty in their life like the girl that we spoke about wants to control things uh, or you know they're doing some maybe some drugs or stealing or you know skiving from school they want challenge variation or significance you know that the, the, their challenging behavior is linked to one of those needs just like they could picture like when they're pouring a cup and they're trying to get that cup of coffee that they're going to lead that uh they're going to figure out which one of those needs and then they're going to top them off <laughs> yeah and you know what is funny if, if they are doing this exercise anyway uh, if they want to make it really interesting is uh with the same four human needs if you have a skill from not to 10, you know, in solution focus, we like skills. If 10 is, I'm extremely happy in, in my life, and zero is, uh, no, no, I, I'm totally meeting that need at 10, and zero is, I'm not meeting that need at all. Do the task with yourself, you know, say, if I look at my life and at certainty, how much certainty am I experiencing in my life? from not to a 10, how much um, challenge variation, how much significance, how much love and connection. Sure, yeah. If you score low, then you will understand what you need to work on to become more happier. Because for us to be happy in life, we need to have those four needs met yes. at the highest level. But that and is just if you have spare time and you want to do an addition. Right, oh yeah, if you have a little spare time on yeah, the side. Or... <laughs> but what's interesting is I would wonder if many times, and I think this might be the case for my daughter and I, we're very close and she's 12. And uh, if I scale myself on a one to 10, say that at this moment in time, maybe I'm not feeling connected, I would venture to say that if she did a scale without me knowing it blind, she might also have that same one on the low side. Yeah. It's, yeah. And then you have identified what you can work on. Right, right, yep. And once then we you have know a clear you, focus. Absolutely. And but then you that can then it can become fun. Yes. What can we do to top it up in a positive way? Yes. And and then the fun bit, see the result, see the consequence of that. Yeah, I love it. And I bet you I'm going to get some feedback on some parents that tried some brand new skills. And that's what it's all so. about. You know, that's what it's all about, us being willing to try new things. Well, family, I always say, you ask that question, what made you do this or something like that? For me, family relationships are everything. 
you know, when there's something wrong in any of your family relationships, if your partner or if your children, it affects every aspect of life. Your productivity, your happiness level, uh, school, education, finance. It, uh, so therefore, it's the most valuable thing that we have in life. And if we can contribute towards people experiencing a really good family relationship, then we're doing a good job. We're doing something positive here. Yes, it's a worthwhile work. It's, it's worth every single moment that it takes to not have that microwave um, mentality. And it takes time, but it's time well spent. Hmm. Well, thank you. I want to find out where we can find you. Where can people look you up? Where can we yep. get more information about what you are doing? Well, I'll make it very simple for you. If you're interested in a free training, which is titled Free uh, Powerful and Easy Techniques That You Can Implement Right Now, to turn around challenging behavior and build amazing relationships with your child or without arguments and conflict, then go to expertfamilycoach.com where you will see a little introduction video whereby I'm inviting you to this training. You just give your name and your email address and you get instant access to that training. It's around 35 minutes long, but it will leave you with some really powerful uh, techniques that, that can change stuff family for you all right say that um say the website again uh expertfamilycoach.com perfect and you guys will be able to see that in the show notes and you can just click right on it and go straight there and i highly encourage you to do so thank you so much for sharing your expertise on this subject and just being so uh transparent we i've thoroughly enjoyed it thank you so much sure you're very welcome thank you for inviting me And this is the end of our conversation with Eric. Don't forget to scroll down in my show notes because that's where you're going to find a link to his website. And you'll also find a link to my website, thefocusedmindset.com, where you can always find updated information on how to be a solution-focused family. And also join the community when you get there because... I love to keep in touch with you guys and monthly I send out free content so you never miss out on what's going on. Also, you'll see the link to the Big Life Journal. One of the single best ways to help your child learn resilience, especially in this time, this ever-changing time that we're living in. I'm an affiliate partner and the link in my show notes will help you guys support this podcast so we can bring you many more wonderful guests and lots more content just like this. So thank you for being with us today and go out and meet even the most challenging behaviors with confidence. And until next time, keep in touch and take care.